We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 339. Our guest is a trained saddle fitter with over 20 years of experience helping horses and riders better understand saddle fit and its significant impact in the sport. With over 4,800 hours of instruction from a German master saddler, our guest focuses on how anatomy and biomechanics influence saddle fit. Using science and common sense, as she says it, our guest is passionate about helping riders understand how their saddle works and resolving common problems that are impacting our horses in small ways and potentially in big ways. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Amanda Anderson. Hi, Amanda. Hey, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks for having Amazing. me on. Absolutely. I'm super excited. I feel like it's the the idea of saddle fitting is so important, um, but in general, not often talked about a lot or, you know, I think that there's always uh, kind of that maybe idea that you leave it to the saddle makers and saddle professionals and fitters in the industry. But I think there's a lot of things that us as, you know, general equestrians and riders and trainers um, could really learn and have more in our kind of like general knowledge in that area. So I'm really excited to talk with you. And um, I would love to hear first how you got started in the horse world. Oh, gosh, I've been riding horses since I was like three. Um, Nobody in my family rode, but I wanted to ride. So my parents indulged me. Nice. Um, and then, yeah. And then of course my dad says, you can't have anything in the horse industry or you can't have a job in the horse industry because you'll never make any money. So I went down the road of, I have a master's in oriental medicine and acupuncture. I went through uh, massage therapy school. I used to be a paramedic. So everything kind of in the health industry. And of course, during my undergrad at Colorado state, I was um, pre-vet and anatomy driven for horses and animals. And I just decided that I wanted to be happy in life and not rich. And so um, I kind of translated all of that into working with saddles because the horses really are, they, they come first and, and our equipment can make or break a horse. It can make a horse happy and it can make a horse uh, very much a pain and lame. Um, and all of that has to do with the rider's anatomy and the horse's anatomy. And it just was kind of a natural path for me. Um, although I can say that it's been a very expensive path. Mm. Um, I, I, my student loans are exorbitant and I will never make back what I spent <laughs> in my education, but I actually don't mind that because I do feel like I have a good, um, well-rounded education. I also recently in the last three years got a job at Denali Equine, a rehab and research facility in my area. And I do necropsies on horses, um, and gosh, the the knowledge that I've gained from that, just for saddle fitting, it has just been incredible. And just thanks to Denali and Kate Workman and Audrey DeClue for for hiring me. What would you say, like, if you had to like give an answer? Obviously, this is kind of the whole point, right? But right. what about the saddle fitting well makes it so important for 
the horse in general for their health and for their movement? Think about when you were 20 years old and you were going out for a night on the town and you really cared about how you looked and you put your high heels on that look amazing and you walk around all night and you dance. And I remember stumbling home at midnight or 2 a.m. when I was 20 in these heels and my feet were killing me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was 20. So it was like, yeah, you know, beauty is pain. But now that I'm almost 50, um, there's no way that I'm going to get back in those heels even for five minutes. And so we're asking these horses to perform in uneven footing, um, jumping large obstacles, doing anything for us. We're putting weight on their back. And it's very important that the weight we put on their back is comfortable for them. The horses are absolutely able to carry our weight. If we have a suitable horse and we're relatively fit, then the horse that we have can carry our weight long distances with no problem. It becomes an issue when our weight is not easy to carry for a multitude of reasons. Either the horse isn't fit, the horse is injured, we are not balanced um, or we are not working to carry our, ourselves in an easy fashion, sure. then it becomes more difficult. You think about like carrying a child. If you have a young child, like a toddler, and they want to be carried, and you put them on your hip, and they're holding on, and they're not squirming, then it's pretty easy to carry them for a while. If they're squirming all around, and you know they're, they're leaning, and you're trying to maybe carry groceries or do something then it becomes very difficult to carry them and you want to set them down. So it's the same with us and horses. Horses are quite happy to carry us when we're balanced and centered and going with them. But when we are leaning off to one side or sitting behind the motion or jumping ahead of the motion or yanking on their mouths, then they become discontent. You've obviously worked with a ton of people and you've seen so many different scenarios, but what are some of the most common issues with saddle fit? Lack of wither clearance is, I would say, absolutely the number one in like the hunter jumper discipline. Mm -hmm. In dressage, it is the rider sitting too far behind the horse's center of gravity right. um, and which then they ratchet the saddle down on top of the withers and, basically inhibit the horse from using their thoracic sling. So lack of wither clearance does the same thing as the dressage rider that's sitting too far behind the center of gravity. The horses, the three main muscles of the horse's thoracic sling are the thoracic trapezius, the serratus ventralis thoracis, and the pectoralis. So all of those three, if you, all you have to do is Google it, Google thoracic trapezius equine, Google serratus ventralis equine and Google pectoralis, like right where the girth goes. And if you think about that, if you just go look at your horse, that is exactly where the pommel, the tree points, a point billet and or billets and a girth go. And so that area, we have to put a saddle there. It's really important for the horse to be able to lift his back, that we do it in a manner that allows him to do so. The pommel of the saddle is almost the most important thing of the saddle because if we pinch the withers, the horse, is, the horse cannot use his back. If the horse can't use its back, then he can't push from behind. And then he ends up pulling himself along with his front legs. Um, and that creates a whole, it snowballs into compensation 
um, and injuries that we see, not necessarily right away, but later, and then nobody can actually pinpoint what's going on unless you have somebody that goes, hey, you've had a saddle fitting issue for a long time. Right. And so, yeah. What's the natural, what's like the standard rule of thumb for weather clearance? Yeah, everybody likes to say that two to three fingers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And it depends on the brand. So if I, I don't really like to talk about brands, but I do know quite a lot about them. And I'll just state what um, these, the brands that we're going to talk about in just a sec say on their websites. So like if you have a Tad Coffin and you go to his website and you go down to, I think it's saddle fitting and then pads and padding. That's the, where you go on his website. He says that you need one finger of clearance at the pommel, one finger. So that's a centimeter. If you go to Steuben and you talk to any Steuben fitter on the planet, they will tell you you need much more than that. And the reason why is because certain brands build wither clearance into their saddle. So like if you see a Steuben or a Possier and they are sitting one centimeter away from the top of the withers, the top of the spine, then somebody has done a terrible job. Or your saddle is way, way, way too wide because there is no way one of those, either of those brands should sit that close to the withers because the the fitting philosophy for those brands is maximum amount of room for the withers. The withers move up and down and laterally, which means move side to side. So they're trying to give that amount of room for the horse in any situation. We gauge wither clearance by in motion when the horse is most collected, doing whatever, jumping, pee off, whatever that horse does that is the most collected movement. You can't look at it on the cross ties. So you'll have certain brands like Tad Coffin or some of the, um, the French brands and they will say, well, we don't need as much wither clearance. And I'm not judging them, but you can't go by saying you need three fingers. You need clearance around the top and the sides of the withers at all time, at all times. Um, and keeping in mind that the gullet plate of the saddle, which is your, it's the metal steel metal bar that goes inside the underneath part of the pommel is several fingers behind the entrance of the pommel. So you have to consider that when your weight is on, that you have full clearance the entire way down the middle of the saddle, Mm -hmm. not just at the very beginning. And that the sides of the pommel, so like some of those saddles have like a wool dot where the, the panels start, no part of that hard pommel should ever touch the horse, ever. And we certainly don't want any part of the saddle putting a ton of weight on the thoracic trapezius either. The thoracic trapezius attaches to the spine and the scapula. There is no weight on the spine and there's no weight on the scapula. Any weight on the trapezius will put weight on the scapula and put weight on the spine. So that's also a no-go. So having a, a pommel that is open enough and supported enough by the correct tree width, tree point length, and panels will keep the saddle off of the withers um, and allow the horse to actually use its back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- and I think a- another big thing that I feel like a lot of people maybe have questions around is it's common for people to either like fix saddle fit issues or maybe they even 
have a saddle that fits their horse well, but then maybe doesn't know exactly how to accompany the saddle with the proper gear, like using pads and fitted pads to kind of fix problems or, or do whatever. So what is your advice as far as maybe the, the pitfalls of using extra equipment to fix problems, but also if you do have a good saddle, what is your recommendation for saddle pad usage? Okay. So this is fairly nuanced. So I'll try to address this in a fairly short point. <laughs> I don't like crazy shaped anything. Um, <laughs> you see those like really radical anatomic girths. And I've seen maybe like three horses in my entire career that needed something really crazy. Mm. Um, I, I posted a couple pictures and it's like, all right, there's no girth groove here. Like he's the, the girth groove is in front of the elbow. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. Like we would throw everything at this horse, anatomic girth, point billet, maybe even a four girth if they really wanted to ride them. But for most horses out there, I find that the crazy shaped accessories, girths, half pads, saddle pads, all the things are just a band-aid for poor saddle fit. Hmm. So if I can put a saddle on a horse, if someone lets me saddle their horse with a pommel that doesn't touch the withers, tree points that are long enough and the correct width, the correct panel shape, puts the rider as close as possible to the horse's center of gravity at the base of the withers, and, and the shape of the saddle is good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All I have them do is use a regular saddle pad that has a little bit of a kind of goes up at the withers. Like if the horse has withers, you want to fit the contour of the horse's back with your saddle pad, right? Mm -hmm. If you have, uh, if you lay your saddle pad down and it just goes straight across, but your horse has withers, then you're, you know, it's going to, when you put that saddle on, what's going to end up happening is the pad will just kind of fall down on top of the withers. Then we give them a wither wedgie. That's right. no fun. I had a, somebody gave me a wedgie in fifth grade and I've never forgotten it. <laughs> so, you know, I just have a, a, a saddle pad that's shaped, the contour of the top of it is shaped similar to whatever horse's back I'm fitting. Um, I really like a, a wool half pad underneath a lot of the saddle, the horses that I saddle. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is I work for a rehab facility and the horses come in and I would say, the majority of these horses have come in because they have equipment issues, meaning their saddles didn't fit. And so we have found through our research that wool, like fleece, real wool, not fake wool. Um, there's a lot of fake stuff out there and people love it because it's easy to take care of, but yeah. the real wool is where the it's that's gold. Um, it is anti-concussive and it gives us a layer of padding that helps that conforms to the horse's back without impeding saddle fit if you have the correct design. Mm. So like my two favorite pads on the market are the Mattis in, in the, if you're listening in the U S it's the Mattis platinum. It's the expensive one. Of course uh -huh. it has, because it has about a seven centimeter gullet channel. So if you think about why does every saddle on the planet have a gullet channel? Because we want to clear the spine and not add any material into the pommel of the saddle. Mm -hmm. So why do we not have half pads with gullet channels? If you have a half pad and it doesn't have about a seven and a half centimeter gullet channel, so that's about four fingers, then you have added material into the pommel that is going to press against the sides of the withers. Mm -hmm. It's I've seen all the new little pad designs. Like we'll just we'll just make a little cut down the middle of the pad. 
And somehow that's going to give more clearance. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. So, um, and then the other pad that seems to be quite good that I've used a lot is the, um, the Streamline Evolution wool pad. And the wool is actually underneath and touches the horse. So like if I need correction, meaning I've got a horse that's in at the rehab facility that has now been in rehab for a while. He's lacking some top line muscle and I need to add, I need to lift the saddle to allow um, the horse to work underneath it. Meaning he doesn't have as much top line muscle as we would like. However, he has enough to be ridden. I will use the Mattis Platinum and put the saddle on, on top of it. And if the horse has good top line muscle and I don't need to correct anything, then I use the streamlined wool wool on the bottom for the horse. Um, I especially like to use those in the winter because when horses get their, their the insulatory hair, the downy hair that comes in, when the, the hair comes in, it grows straight up and it's designed to like lift their coat so the air can get trapped underneath and they can stay warm in the winter. That hair will get rubbed, especially at the back of the cantle from saddle pads or, you know, maybe somebody's saddles a little too wide and it's, it's rocking back and forth. And so I find that putting fleece down starting in like October, if the horse, if the horse has good saddle fit, um, and is getting a little bit rubbed because his hair's coming in, then I use fleece or yeah, I use fleece directly on the back. If your saddle is rubbing because it's too wide, you need to address because it's too wide, not just throw fleece down. Yeah, definitely. In the summer months, I feel like a lot of places that we horse show also tend to have lots and lots of rain. And it's always the worst when you have, you know, a hot summer day with a bunch of rain and you also have a bunch of rain gear. And it's just like the worst feeling in the world, being hot and raining and disgusting and gross. But I want to talk about whether or not equestrian, because if you have not tried their breeches, oh my gosh, I am putting you on to a life-changing material that is absolutely so revolutionary. And I feel like everyone needs a pair, if not several, whether or not equestrian breeches. First of all, they are waterproof. And I know when I say waterproof, you say, okay, Bethany, like maybe like a little sprinkle or like get some water on them and it's fine. No, they actually, their fabric passed rain test AATCC 35,000. I don't know what that means, but after looking it up, it tests, it really like measures the resistance to the penetration of water by impact. I, again, read this, read this on their website, looked it up to actually see what the heck it was. Still didn't believe it. So I have a couple pairs and I put them on, went right to the barn, into the wash rack, and I ran the hose over my leg. And I was absolutely shocked how the water literally ran off my leg. Normal, you know, like riding breeches, not to mention they fit so well. They're so stretchy. They're so flattering. There's a zipper in the back, um, you know, right below your waist um, band that literally holds your phone so you don't have to like wear anything or have worry about your phone slipping out of your pocket. It's just like so well made. And to top it off, the fabric is not only comfortable, stretchy, incredible, it's literally rain resistant, which is just, I think, so revolutionary for our sport. So 
you've heard enough from me blabbering on. You need to go try them for yourself because I didn't believe it until I tried them for myself. So go visit their website. It's wonequestrian.com. So whether or not equestrian.com. Again, that's wonequestrian.com. Get yourself a pair of these breeches and tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. They changed my life and I cannot wait to ride in them in Florida and in Kentucky all summer. I mean, truly, thanks to whether or not equestrian, rain does not have to freak you out anymore. So go check them out. You will not be sorry. What about, um, because I feel like you have a pretty like holistic approach to saddle fitting with the obvious focus on for like focusing on the horse's anatomy and the biomechanics. Something that I've kind of seen that is often missing when looking at saddle fit is what part does the rider play into um, the whole process when you're fitting a saddle? I would say at least 85%. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think when I was starting out in saddle fitting that I just needed to fit the horse. I didn't need, you know, the rider can do whatever they want. And as I've kind of grown as a saddle fitter, I went to like, all right, it's 50, 50. Now I see because I work for this rehab facility that it's at least 85%, maybe even more. So if you think about it, your horse does not go out in the pasture and go, wow, my right hind is really weak. I need to exercise it. They go, no, my right hind is weak. I'm going to rest it and I'm going to mm-hmm. protect it. Right. Mm-hmm. So your horse will naturally want to be dominant on one side and weak on the other. If the rider does not create symmetry in that horse, then the horse will be in a compensatory pattern and small injuries occur when that happens or big injuries. Usually what happens is you have a horse in a compensatory pattern. All you have to do is go go to the grocery store and watch people walk around. You'll see, I would say at least 50% of the people out there are limping. That's a compensatory pattern. They're in pain somewhere. So the horse is in a compensatory pattern and because dominant muscles take over, they get stronger on one side and weaker on the other. Then they start moving differently. Then bones are joints articulate differently and in wrong areas. People go, Oh, the horse is now hockey. I need to inject the hawks. And instead of saying, why is my horse getting hockey or has hawk pain? They go, well, hang on a sec. Why don't we look at why the horse has hawk pain instead of just injecting the hawks and keeping going? And usually what I see is when I go out and these people say, oh yeah, we've injected the hawks a bunch of times. I take a look at the horse's back and usually the shoulders are really uneven and the horse has definite signs of some muscle lacking underneath the saddle. Um, And you can see them, you know, they'll take a bigger step with the right hind or the left hind. And so what ends up happening is they sustain minor injuries that accumulate over time and then it becomes a big injury and it's career ending or the horse has to go to rehab or mm-hmm. they retire him. So it's better to say, all right, the rider can affect the horse. The rider is the person who either creates symmetry in the horse or perpetuates an asymmetric horse. If you cannot, as a, as a rider, if you're crooked, there's no way for you to create a straight horse. It's, and that sounds very mean, but it's just the truth. I mean, you can't get around it. We have horses come in that are crooked. We fix them. But if you put a crooked rider on them after you fix them, they're going to come back for being crooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
really what I tell people when I go out to appointments and I say, all right, what do you, I get a history of the horse, you know, age, breed, what do you do for body work and all that stuff. And the horses who are the most crooked have the most body work and they'll say, oh, my horse gets acupuncture, massage, beamer, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things. I'm like, your horse is really crooked. And then I watch them walk up and down the barn aisle (laughs) and they are very crooked and you can see what's going on. And it's not that the modalities of the beamer blanket and the massage and the, you know, whatever you want to do, it's not that they don't work. They can't, they can't fix the rider. So it's really important. I say to the rider, I'm like, look, if you have to choose between body work for your horse or getting yourself straight and maintaining it, and then riding your horse straight, I would choose ride it. I would choose the rider every single time. Mm, wow. Yeah. And it's not, again, it's not that the body work for the horse doesn't work, but we have to make the rider straight. And the, because I can't fix a saddle that the rider's making crooked. I can fix a saddle on a crooked horse, but I can't fix, I can't fix it if the rider is making it crooked. Mm-hmm, definitely. The rider is extremely important. Go to yoga, Pilates, go to the gym. I tell everyone a physical therapist is your number one ally as a rider. Wow. Yeah. Because they're going to be able to tell you if you're moving correctly. And if you're not moving correctly, they're going to give you exercises so that you can become stronger and more symmetric. And it's not an expensive, I mean, yes, it's expensive. It's like 150 bucks. um, If you don't use insurance, at least in my area. And it is literally the most important thing I can think of for a rider. Right. What's your, what is your opinion about using a saddle that fits the rider on multiple horses? I think if the saddle fits the multiple horses, then that's fine. Right. But if the saddle doesn't fit the horses, then no, we can't. I mean, you can, I see it all the time. And that's why we see that 70% of the horses are functionally lame. Um, yeah. When I go look at new clients, um, I would say the horses that have damaged their shoulders and their back, they're almost always girthy. And, you know, these people are like, well, I don't, he's just a jerk. And I'm like, he's not just a jerk. He's, he's unhappy because he's in pain. These horses are not, they're not going to lie to you. Um, If they don't want to be caught, there's usually a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, If they won't stand still at the mounting block, there's usually a reason. If when you go like, there was a great video and this top level rider posted it. And it was like this sped up version of her horse being groomed and saddled in the cross ties. And she put it like the camera dead on to the horse's head. And while the person was brushing the horse, the horse was totally fine. And then he brought the saddle pad out and the horse started biting the cross ties and pinning its ear and switching its tail. And then when they put the saddle on, it was even worse And this rider posted the video, like, this is something like, I'm like, hello, this is a problem. Are you not seeing this? It's so normalized. We need to start recognizing when our horses are telling us that there's something wrong. And if you know the saddle doesn't fit, don't put it on the horse. Because it's like, if I say to you, I want you to go train for a marathon and I want you to have a career in running marathons, meaning you're going to do this for a really long time, but I put you in shoes that are too small or don't fit the side, you know, don't fit your shape of your foot. And I make you run every day for an hour in those shoes. You are not going to have a long career 
in marathon running because you're going to be injured mm-hmm. and unhappy. And so it doesn't cost a lot of money to fit a saddle correctly. The problem is a lot of people don't understand what to look for. I'm trying to correct that. We're, we have classes that we're going to start doing for professionals at the rehab facility so that we can start really pinpointing what works for horses and what doesn't. But I can tell you the saddle fitting industry is a disaster right now because mm. everybody's looking at marketing. Oh, I mean, all you have to do is look at the, um, the mission statements for the brands. Just go, all you have to do is go to their website and Google their mission statement and you will see which brands are actually focused on horses and fitting horses well. So that was a long answer to a very short, <laughs> please don't no. put that on the horse. Right. Nice that it fits the rider, but if it doesn't fit the horse, you're training yeah. him in pain. Right. Do you ever comment on the saddle companies that you like versus yeah. ones maybe not? <laughs> I, I will comment on the ones that I like, but I'm not going to say that ones I that, that I don't. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can tell you the designs that I don't like, but, and you guys can make your inferences from that. But the, I have to say, um, I work with a company, he's based out of New Zealand. He does only polo saddles. Um, it's Ainsley Saddlery. And if you know anything about polo, there's usually a lot of fairly cheap Argentinian saddles and they all sit right on the withers. And it's compounded by the, the fact that these players like to put them on top of the scapula and it, it's really a problem. And I've worked with him now for probably three years. And every time I go to England, which has been three times now, all of his horses, like literally every single horse we saddle and I check every single saddle and we go through it and none of his horses are girthy. None of them have an issue with um, you putting the saddle on. They just sit there. They're like, Hey, cool. We're going to go. We're going to go do something. And he's got wither clearance consistently. And I'm really impressed by that. Really, really, really impressed by that. Um, He's got a nice open pommel and he's got fairly long tree points and he's got And I say this with a lot of caution because people get really freaked out about flexible versus rigid trees. He has a very small flex in his tree, which allows the the back of the tree to move a little bit with the horse's back. Um, And I think that's great because it, it stops the motion of the tree. If you take a really rigid tree and you strap it down to a moving horse's back, you're going to have a lot of motion. Mm -hmm. So, um, I say that with caution. I, I'm not saying every flexible tree is good and I'm not saying every rigid tree is bad. Sure. I've just found that having a little bit of flex in the back so that it moves the back of the the cantle moves a little bit side to side when the horse pushes it is great. Um, I've had a lot of success with the Steuben tree. They have a very similar design to the Ainsley saddles. And I think that's why I gravitated towards Ainsley um, I've been an affiliate. I've, I've worked with Steven for gosh, 15 years, mm-hmm. um, like liaised for them. I, I teach some of their anatomy classes. Um, they hired me last year to do that. And so their tree is, is really excellent because it's very similar to what I just described. The old Passier tree, the bomb tree, um, also extremely similar to the Steuben tree. It's got a nice open pommel. It's got longer tree points. Um, has a little bit of flex in the back and it places a, another really important thing is that we're placing the rider in the center of the tree instead of at the back of the tree. So this is more for dressage. But if you think about like a rocking horse, if you sit on a rocking horse and you sit in the middle of that rocking horse, 
the the front of that rocking horse is lighter it's up off the ground and the back of the horses is the rockers are up off the ground and so when we talk about placing the rider over the strongest part of the horse's back that we can access the base of the withers is the strongest part of the horse's back that we can sit on and so when you place a saddle a tree on a horse and you place the rider in the middle of the tree then we sit over the base of the withers this is really good for the horse it's also really good because it'll, when we use a centered billet position, which Ainsley, Steuben, Passier, and some of the old school saddles still have, that we allow the front of the saddle to be light so the scapula can slide underneath that tree point, and we allow the back of the saddle to be light so that the loins can move, right? The lumbar area can move. We don't want to sit the rider as further back on the, on the false ribs, we want to sit them as close as possible to the true ribs and allow that back to really move. So when you like look at a saddle pad, you know, you ride your horse, you flip the saddle pad over and it's really dark at the scapula or at the shoulder at the front. And it's really dark at the back. That's just motion. And so we want to sit over the horse's back that has the least amount of motion, not only because it's easier for us to ride, but because that's where the saddle goes. And we allow the points of the areas of the horse that have the most amount of motion to rotate freely or to move freely. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the saddle designs that I don't like are really narrow pommels. Um, and you'll see a lot of these brands will, they'll drag the panels way up into the pommel. Um, so that there's, there's maybe like, like an inch or an inch and a half between the top of the pommel and the panel. And they do that because they know if they don't, that the side of the, the pommel is going to slam into the sides of the withers, okay. but they do it because the riders love that close contact feeling. They right. love it. And they're going, well, we're going to sell saddles and we don't care anything about the horse mm -hmm. or when they have really short tree points. So we have to reach the rib cage. We have to reach the longissimus muscle, which is on a high withered horse, fairly, a fairly long distance from where the pommel is to the actual longissimus muscle. And so um, if you have a really short tree point, you're dooming the horse to having the saddle resting on the trapezius. And then if you think about it, if the tree point isn't much longer than the stirrup bar and the stirrup bar is attached to the tree point, then what stops the stirrup bar from becoming the tree point? You know, we talk about, oh, the stirrup bar can't ever touch the horse because that'll pinch him. Right. Well, hello. Yeah, that's uh, oh. such good information. I mean, I feel like that's that's such a big part of like so many misconceptions and something mm -hmm. that I feel like isn't talked about for someone listening, wanting more info about how a saddle should fit, or maybe questioning if their saddle fits their current ride, where do you recommend they get more information? Depends on where they're located because you know, in the States, like I, this is, and this is again, a fairly hot topic in the States here, there is kind of a war going on between independent fitters and brand reps a lot of brand reps are just taught to sell saddles. There are brand reps from good saddle companies that are taught to sell the saddle and fit it. I have to say your brand rep has the most information on your brand out of anybody else ever. I've been to every single independent school in the United States, save one. And I had zero information about the different brands. So I got a lot of basic information about how to fit saddles, which is great. Um, but your the brand rep is going to be able to tell you how your brand should fit the horse. 
So like we were talking about it earlier, if I fit a Steuben with one centimeter of wither clearance, just at the top of the pommel, then I am fitting that Steuben against what they want their saddle fitted. Mm -hmm. So if you say to your brand rep, is this how my saddle should be fitted according to the guidelines of the manufacturer? That's what I would ask. Right. And then if, if that design is giving the horse problems because it's sitting too close to the withers or the tree points end on the trapezius or whatever, whatever, then you need to move to a different brand that has a different design. Consumers need to understand anatomy. And it's not that difficult if you just apply yourself a little bit mm -hmm. and learn, you know, learn some muscles and learn what to look at. I do a lot of teaching on my social media sites. I've been doing a lot of podcasts. We're going to start doing a lot of videos through the Denali Equine website, okay. um, which I'll, I'll have a link to like any type, anytime we do videos, I will link it to my saddlefitting.us Instagram and Facebook page. And nice. so, yeah. So an independent fitter is awesome because they can say, all right, the saddle is bridging. The tree width isn't correct. Um, but they can't tell you if that saddle is fitting according to what the manufacturer says, okay. which is really important because you, it's like you wouldn't buy a Mini Cooper and then try to pull a horse trailer with it. Right. You have right. to buy the design that is going to fit your horse. The problem is every manufacturer out there is going to tell you that their design is going to fit your horse. So we have to do some common sense and critical thinking and you have to kind of have a team that you can trust. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's great advice. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the You're time welcome. to come on and share all of your not extensive knowledge. I really appreciate it and definitely think it's something that we should continue to have more and more conversations about in this industry. So thank you so much for taking the time and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.